everybody welcome to this week's arts report i'm your host ashley we're we're kind of here with my uh as uh steve saying said before my entourage we have arts reporters jake and andy here today say hi guys howdy hi guys (laughs) okay thanks andy all right and we have a lot of cool stuff for you today we have some great interviews we have some great reviews we're going to get into our interview right now I'm proud to present uh, Mr. Jonathan Girard. He's the director at UBC Symphony Orchestra. And we actually have a really cool kind of event coming up not too far from, you know, today. It's November 27th at 7.30 p.m. at the Roy Barnett Recital Hall. This is a reimagined take on Schubert's Winter Rise. It is a composed interpretation for tenor and small orchestra by Hans Zender. And welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Ashley. It's great to be here. <laughs> and so, Mr. Gerard, can you tell us a little bit more about the show upcoming on the 27th? Sure. So um, the show that we're doing mm-hmm. is uh, there's a series of concerts called Music on Point, which are usually on Friday evenings, mm-hmm. and they're uh, focused on bringing in really great artists to the UBC community. And um, the show that we're having tonight uh, or not tonight, but on Friday, that is, mm-hmm. is um, it's a work by a German composer named Hans Zender. And what he's done is he's taken uh, the very, essentially the last piece that the f- great composer Franz Schubert wrote, his song cycle, Winterreise, oh. for mm-hmm. piano and uh, singer and tenor in this case. And he's reworked it for a chamber orchestra and almost reimagined it so that the orchestra is doing all kinds of really cool things. It's got very unusual and mm-hmm. eclectic sounds, and it has a lot of the players performing in ways that are not um, maybe what you would call a typical performance um, type of practice on the instrument. So it uses mm-hmm. uh, some extended techniques for the players. It's um, It happens without stopping. It's 24 songs in a row, and it basically tells a story um, of this journey of this gentleman which is mm-hmm. not too happy he he had <laughs> he was unlucky in love okay as, as some are <laughs> and also during the holiday season that's just a little bit sad <laughs> it is a little sad and so in 1993 zender was the one who kind of took winter rise and then he changed into kind of a composed interpretation right. did you personally cho- choose to do the um to do this kind of interpretation um yeah well the way it worked is that this this piece has had a lot of performance in Mm -hmm. europe and it's kind of one of the hot things that's happening right now it was just done at the berlin philharmonie um which is the hall where the um where the berlin philharmonic plays and Mm -hmm. their young um students of the academy there did a performance with sir simon rattle conducting and um but What's really interesting about this performance is this is essentially, this is the Western Canadian premiere of the work. Uh-huh. It's never been done before. It was done in, I think, in Quebec somewhere a few years really? ago. Really? So this, at UBC, the first time we get to hear, you know, Zender's version of Winterize. You got it. Yo. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. It's like, this is where it's debuting. It's happening here. It's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So I actually wanted to ask I know Zender took his, you know, interpretations mm-hmm. from, you know, Schubert made his own. Mm-hmm. What did you guys to make, you know, what did you guys do to make Zender's version kind of your own spin? Well, you know, what's, you know, we couldn't really alter the pitches or the rhythms or any of that. But, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the things that we're dealing with as performers is 
how do you present this work in a way that really captures the audience? Yes. And there are many specific instructions that Zender writes in the score oh, really? for how to move around. Uh -huh. And some things are in different locations in the hall and the types of effects that that produces. Mm -hmm. And then even some of the instruments that he specifies for are kind of, you have to be improvising with them. Okay. Like, so we've, we've kind of made our own imprint on it in that regard. So we've, we've, figured out how we're going to place people in the hall, and mm -hmm. we've decided on the best types of sounds for the instruments, especially the percussion instruments that he's looking for. And we ha actually had a percussion instrument built. Oh, wow. Um, a, a, a wind machine. A wind machine? Yeah. So, uh, go ahead. Wait, a wind machine. So does it create wind or is wind powered? Actually, it doesn't create wind okay. at all, but it gives the illusion of creating wind. So oh, okay. um, if you, you know, with movies and films, when people are, when you hear the soundtrack, there's there's these types of individuals called Foley artists, Foley which actually artists. make the, you know, like the sound of footsteps. And a lot of those sound effects aren't actually recorded during the shooting. Oh, like when okay. the guy gets punched and it sounds like uh, you're hitting a pop board, styrofoam board with like a boxing glove. Thwomp. Yeah, like that—that that has not sounded like anybody being punched ever in the real world. That's the Foley guy just up to his job. Oh wow, that's so neat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in a sense, we're basically we're being Foley artists oh, with wow. Schubert's piece. But um, uh -huh. the, what's really cool about this is that um, and Andy Dawes, Andrew Dawes, who was mm -hmm. the former—he um, uh, was a violinist in the Tokyo String Quartet, former professor emeritus, uh, professor emeritus at UBC, mm -hmm. he was inspired to build this wind machine, you know? <laughs> so he and, took it on as like a And project. he sent me a photo of it. He's like, uh -huh. I started building you this wind machine. <laughs> and um, and so what it is, is it's a, it's a drum mm -hmm. that's uh, made out of wooden slats that spins. Oh, okay. And there's a piece of canvas that covers the top of it. So you hear, you know, like, you hear wow. an audio effect, but uh -huh. it doesn't actually produce moving air. I mean, unless okay. you spin it really fast. But. <laughs> All right. That's just, that's just me. I'm a, I'm a beginner to this kind of stuff. No, no. But hey, this is... Thank you for, like, enlightening me. That Absolutely. just sounds really, really cool. So it, it's shaped like a drum, and somebody, I guess, rotates it to make that sound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, he... One of the things that we made a choice about in this piece is yes. that we're... He actually requires three wind machines, oh. but we can't fit three on the stage yeah. because there's so many players. So we're just using one, and we're using Andy's, and it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and the harpist actually plays it because the percussionists have oh, okay. so many other things going on. So um, what, what do you guys do? You guys have them on stage, and you guys have them strategically placed to create that kind of music then? Yeah, so basically, you know, a lot of you – know, well, actually – to, he specifically marks places like he'll want oh, like a like almost like okay. an echo where he'll put a couple of players in the back of the hall and then so something will happen on the stage and then you'll hear a little echo behind so it's very spatial in mm -hmm. terms of you know more atmospheric then very much so, so it's not yeah. only just the front experience but it kind of encompasses all around that's right and mm -hmm. what what also is fairly unusual about this is that the players come and go from the stage during the performance mm -hmm. so they're in a some in a way they're kind of traveling on a journey oh, with wow. the audience and uh -huh. physically moving on their journey to go to their next so it's not just like location. a normal concert it's kind of no. like you know it has that audience interaction exactly much it has like a cool very you know visual spectacle kind of effect yeah death wow it's this is it's and it's I think it's the other thing is it's extremely accessible right uh -huh, because Schubert's music is so it's tonal it sounds pleasant mm -hmm. to the ear and it this really it stretches it but you never feel like you've kind of like gone completely off the grid <laughs> yeah, of course. you know you feel like that it, it, it all kind of makes sense yeah. you know and as the director for UBC Symphony Orchestra yeah. when you got to kind of like you know take on mm -hmm. um, Zender's piece like what. What part of it? Is there maybe a part of it that you personally really, you know, love that you wanted, like, I need this to debut here? Uh, well, you know, I mean, as a professor here, of I'm course. always thinking about how we can give exciting opportunities to our students mm -hmm. and to really um, bring them the best of what's happening in the world. And to me, this is a piece that's on the cutting edge mm -hmm. of what's happening in music right now, and it's happening in all the major cultural centers around the world. So that's really why I want to bring it here. And 
to me, knowing the actual song cycle, the original, uh-huh. <laughs> being able to see this reworked in a way that um, I think it sort of adds a depth to it because it's it's almost um, it's it's very expressionistic, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's taking these emotions that you might have felt in a more subdued way when you're just listening to the piano and the singing, and you're feeling it, uh, you're experiencing it in a very visceral way. Um, as a as a member that's performing it and also listening. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, singing, because it is a composed interpretation for right. tenor and small orchestra, what was the relation like uh, between you know the tenor and I guess the rest of you know the small orchestra? Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting that you asked this. Mm-hmm. Patrick Raftery, my colleague, mm-hmm. who's a voice professor in the School of Music with me, he and I really were we got together and we wanted to do this and he's so excited about it too Uh but um the schubert song cycle it in a way it sort of set a precedent in terms of how the relationship is from the singer versus the pianist Mm -hmm. and before i think the time of schubert and these sort of major song cycles you would have the singer who would be at a very more prominent uh, position and the pianist was sort of a secondary thing Mm -hmm. and then schubert turned that on its head and he really made the um, the piano almost an, another singer in a way, oh, you know, okay. so that they're very equally minded. So it it's a real symbiotic relationship. A duet for real, not yeah. just like piano as accompaniment. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. So it's m- very much on equal footing. So it's um, it's it's uh, with the orchestra version of this, this Zender work, which it's really its own thing in a lot of ways. Um, the I just think it's it sort of highlights that relationship more that. The, the importance of the instrumentalists mm-hmm. in addition to the singer. And uh, and they're really treated in equal ways. I see. Well, sadly to you know tell everybody, our listeners, it is only a one-night performance, this is right? a one-night one performance. One-night performance. you got to be there do-or-die time, November 27th at 7.30 at the Roy Barnett Recital Hall. But if for some reason, some very unfortunate reason that they can't catch the show, but they want to know more. They want to, you know, hear more from you guys. Are there any other upcoming events? There is a really big upcoming event the okay. following week. It's All not right, the same time, type of music. All but, right. Um, the orchestra and I are performing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony oh, okay. in two performances, and uh-huh. part of this is celebration of UBC Centennial, and this <laughs> will feature all the choirs and at the school. All the choirs. Yes. Wow. So about 300 performers yeah, in the Chan Center. <laughs> lovely, and, lovely Ludwig van, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think, as I was saying to, to the students, um, for me, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is very much the, the, the apex of mm-hmm. artistic achievement in humanity, you know, um, at least in mm-hmm. music. And with all of the disturbing things that we have seen going on in the world, I think we can kind of take some solace in knowing that there is something that we need to come together Mm -hmm. um, as a culture and and we need that art to heal us Mm -hmm. in life. And um, for, for, I think it will be very therapeutic for anyone who comes and it will be really joyous and and we need more joy in life. Yeah, I think so, definitely. When exactly is the next week's performance? So there are two. Okay. There's one on December 4th, Friday night at 8 p.m., mm-hmm. and then there's one December 5th, Saturday night at 8 p.m., is both that... in the Chan Center. Oh, okay, both at the Chan Center. And you can get tickets at tickets.ubc.ca. Mm-hmm. And I think just a little birdie told me, but you guys are doing like something during lunchtime too, like noontime? Yeah, so every Wednesday uh-huh. at the School of Music, there are what we call Wednesday noon hour concerts. And these concerts are, uh, are uh, I think they're $5 and it's really- Yo, uh, that, that is affordable it's, for it's a, quality music. It's the same yeah. thing oh, as, yeah. a, as a venti whatever. Yeah, it's a venti whatever. Shop. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think it's great to kind of take a step back and to mm-hmm. maybe find some time to sort of clear your head and listen to something. And um, and we we have that every week it, during during the terms at the School of Music on Wednesday. And you can find out more information at the School of Music website. Mm-hmm. 
So there are are there two more concerts for like the noon one because that's when no is it one more when does school end? I'm like I think we have one, one more. more. Sorry. So yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. just so caught up in like the machine that is school. <laughs> but will it also start um, next term as well? Yes, it does. Okay, great. So in January it will resume. Okay. Well, as you guys might have heard, so many wonderful things happening at the School of Music. We have this really cool once in a lifetime show here at UBC, November 27, 7:30 at the Roy Barnett Recital Hall. That is again um, Hans Zender's version of a reinterpretation of Schubert's Winterweise. Very cool. Uh, directed by you, Mr. Jonathan Gerard. And um, I don't know. It, it sounds really great. I think everyone should definitely, you know, if they are interested to take a look, we'll try our best to share it on our social media. So if you do get the chance to, you know, take a look, do, we will, you know, give you that kind of uh, incentive too. But Thank you so much for coming into our show. A lot of cool things happening at the School of Music. Very proud for UBC. Well, thank you so much for having me, folks. This has just been a real pleasure. It's a pleasure for us, too. <laughs> All right, guys. So we have a few short commercials, then we'll get right back to you with a lot more cool stuff. Stay tuned. AMS Food Bank. Your access to money during the studies at UBC will most likely be limited, but it is a priority of the AMS Food Bank to ensure your access to food is not. The AMS Food Bank provides emergency food relief seven days a week for all UBC students. To volunteer with the Food Bank or for inquiries about how to take advantage of the services provided, contact them at foodbank at ams.ubc.ca. For more information, find the AMS Food Bank on Facebook or feel free to visit anytime across from the Wellness Center and Sprouts. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah blah, blah 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 blah. Explosions. There's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the top floor of the Student Union Building. we got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. For over 30 years, there has been one voice in the local Vancouver arts scene that has stood above the rest. And that's Discorder, that conspiracy, punk rock, foxcore, sassy, still-publishing magazine from CITR. We're one of the established and trusted voices of Vancouver's music and arts culture in the Lower Mainland, with 8,000 copies distributed monthly to over 135 distribution locations, from the Lido to Zulu Records. Discorder is one of a few magazines published by a community radio station, and we only serve up the freshest local and Canadian goods. We have interviews with artists, album reviews, live show reviews, and articles about everything important to our crazy, unique, varied, and amazing culture in Vancouver and across the country. Pick up your free copy of Discorder today or sign up to have it delivered to your door wherever you are. Check out our website for distribution locations and all the information about advertising and getting involved with Discorder. All right, well, welcome back to the Arts Report, guys. I am your host, Ashley. You are listening to the Arts Report on CATR Radio 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver in the really cool new sub. So let's get to review time, review time, review time with my entourage. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Andy, I think you have something to tell us about the room. The room. The room. The room. The room. Oh, hi, Andy. <laughs> hi. 
So the room is fairly well known at this point, I think. You know, it's. Uh, what if people don't know about it? Can you give a little background <laughs> on the room? <laughs> so, so the best description I think is is um, it's the Citizen Kane of, of bad movies. Not, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's the worst movie of all time. But it's like, a magnum opus. The, the cultural like yeah. reception of the room is that it's this this Titanic kind of bad film. It's very well known as a bad film, just like Citizen Kane is well known as a great film. Mm-hmm. So last. Friday um, at the Rio Theater, we there was a double bill of the room with mm-hmm. a movie called uh, Dude Bro Party Massacre yes. Three. Dude Bro Party Massacre Three. Yeah. <laughs> and at first glance, like these movies have nothing in common. Like the room is this auteurist passion project turned cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Dude Bro Party Massacre Three is a uh, it's a slasher spoof um, funded <laughs> through Kickstarter, released earlier this year. But what actually links them together is mm-hmm. is actor Greg Sestero, who plays yeah. uh, Mark in, in The Room. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hi, yeah. Mark. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. How was it? Seems like you're the expert, Mark. <laughs> the Room is a movie that, for all its incompetence, is actually infinitely rewatchable. I think you guys would agree. I would agree. I really, to be honest, listeners, I really wanted to go to this event, but I was sadly at a uh, engagement that I had to, that I must go to, so I I, I couldn't watch it. But yeah. Andy will let us know all about the experience, and there was actually an actor talk back, right? There was a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sure like you'll find I have another opportunity because the room like airs all the time, it screens all the time. Um, but the experience of it is fairly, it's its hard to describe, but if you've seen Rocky Horror Picture Show in like a, in a theater, it's its very similar. There's this um, culture mm-hmm. that, that surrounds it based on, you know, dressing up and, and shouting back lines really loudly. Like mm-hmm. the theater was packed. It's like no empty seats, I don't think. For the room. For the room, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing to watch because it's, it's really, it's really a film that's, um, serious, right? Yeah. It, that, that, it, that's what makes it amazing. It's it, not, it's, it was, it's, there's no <laughs> self-awareness involved at all yeah. in the making well, of it. You have to love somebody deep inside your heart. As yeah. a person, <laughs> if more people love each other, the world would be a better place. You know, like, that doesn't even capture it because, you know, Tommy Wiesau, the auteur who develops uh-huh. the film, is really sincere. He thinks of himself as this kind of modern-day Marlon Brando. Oh, really. yeah. <laughs> and Tennessee Williams. Exactly. <laughs> Just all these leading men. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Tennessee Williams, not so much. But yeah, but leading playwright of... Leading playwright who choked a bottle of yeah. tea, eye drops there. That was, that was important. Sorry for interrupting your flow there. I have okay. no flow. Just like, you want to just, let's talk about the let's room. Let's just talk about the room. How did the room change our lives? Well, you see, for the first seconds of the review, I thought we were talking about Room, like the movie that that, right, that yeah. came out recently, ah, and that was okay. yeah. or the or the Arnold or the Harold Pinter play. Like, there's so many things called the Room. But there's one film that we all know as the Room. Yes, yes, it is. The most amazing thing about the Room is that it doesn't even take place in a room. That's yeah, right. like it's it's on it, like like a rooftop. It's like in a rooftop, mm-hmm. upstairs bedroom. A lot of stuff yeah. happening. Living room. The stairs. Don't forget the stairs. The stairs. Oh, that's got to be uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, I think when I first watched it, I um, a friend showed it to me first actually, and she was like, "Watch this! I will not tell you anything about the room." So she gave me no information about the room, and she said, "This is a masterpiece." So I was like, "A masterpiece? Okay." I thought it was what you mentioned it, you know, Citizen Kane, really highbrow sort of thing. I I read the room. I'm like, "Okay, the room. Let's watch it." I watched it. I was completely baffled by the end of it. I just started laughing hysterically, like, what am I watching? Why am I doing this right now? What does this all mean? But Mark, like... I saw The Room um, with some friends first, and then I actually bought a copy from a theater that had Tommy Wiseau's... uh, He he came through, Okay. and he left three spoons autographed with TW and several copies of The Room to sell, and I bought one for $20. And... I've rewatched it enough to get the investment back. I rewatched it with my, I watched it with my brother once, mm-hmm. and it was. This is what my brother's the, the best summation of the room ever. It's like watching a, a it's like watching a train wreck, uh-huh. or some kind of or a bank robbery in progress. You know something just incredibly, just <laughs> awful is occurring, yes. but you cannot look away. It's very terrible, but you're like, I gotta, I, I gotta. Like the, 
I, the um, and I, I, I have friends who we, we've seen the room together, and and it's just it, it's it's a really entertaining experience for me. <laughs> I personally like it because as as a as a writer, I like to write, and the room is what I watch. Stephen King does the same thing for uh, the Valley of the Dolls, the, oh, okay. the book. Yeah, it's like you look at this and you're like, you know what? I could do. I I, I could not get this bad. Like I feel so much better, but I also I also really enjoy the room for the comedy of it too. Like I I I just like that that's one thing. It's it's it makes me feel good. You know, I also love doing it. Someone was so impression. It's it's really bizarre accent. Like I can't do justice to you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone knows where he's actually from. Still, I have a theory. Some, some people say he's from like Transylvania or like Eastern Europe somewhere, but. His accent's really weird. Transylvania would make sense given his you know, except he appears in the daylight. What's up with that? That's uh, that's, that's, yeah. What about you, Andy? What was what was the revelations mm-hmm. you had after you know watching? Yeah, the room? so like after the um after the screening, um, yeah. Greg Cicero went on stage and mm-hmm. they yeah, they asked a bunch of people from the audience to to come up and and read from the original script. Wow. So what was were, that like? It was kind of in- incredible because I learned a lot of weird. Weird things. Um, for example, mm-hmm. you know how there's a very famous line in in the room in which the the mother of the oh, character- well, well, spoiler warnings oh. for the room. This is okay. I, right. I caught you. I caught you. Don't okay. worry. I caught you in my little spoiler net. culture. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's a thing now. Yeah, because um, some people, you know, if you have not seen the room, um, mm-hmm. you can cover your ears for a little bit. Because if you do want to see it, if you have seen the room and you're like, yes, I know what you're talking about, stay tuned. Because this this line is not something you can replicate again. It yeah, you can't replicate this again. So. So there's a point where the mother of the character of Lisa says something like, I definitely have breast cancer. Uh-huh. I got the results of the test back. I definitely have breast cancer. Just out of the, there's no context for this. This just right. inserts right. into the conversation. But let's let's imagine this is the most well-acted piece of, okay. of acting ever acted, okay, right? Okay, okay. And you, you had tears in your eyes. The thing about this line is that it's never mentioned again. There's no yeah. other reference to her cancer. Oh, really? It just, so it was just mentioned, but then dropped... Like that. Exactly. Like, yeah, she has cancer now, but okay. Now, at the end of the conversation, she goes, they're curing thousands of people every day. <laughs> no, they're, they're really not. Uh-huh. In, in the original script, yeah. though, there are right. actually more than one reference. There is more than one reference to that breast cancer. So it, it was an ongoing plot thread. That really? Was, that was dropped for some reason. Oh, so they, they actually planned to have like a actual plot line with Maybe maybe, having... maybe not plotline, but there was there was more than that single reference. Huh. Interesting. Okay. So basically, what I did is while we were talking, I actually got up a full transcript of the room just to check you know what you're talking with the uh, breast uh, breast cancer, and I'm seeing if they mention it more than once. No, this person painstakingly just <laughs> transcribed all of the room. She even said, "I don't know why I did it, but I transcribed the entire uh, movie, the room for the internet and." Claudette goes, I got the results of the test back. I definitely had breast cancer. I control F cancer. That's the one mention of it. And then, as you mentioned, no one speaks about it ever again. Well, to be fair, the plot's in the sense, like, the room is just, like, set up, ending, and between that, all these air sets plot threads that do not go anywhere. There were some other revelations through the talkback. I will say one more. Um, The (laughs) fact that in, in the original script, Lisa is an even more misogynist caricature than she is in the movie. How is that no, possible? Right. Not so, <laughs> so at the end of the film, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Oh, yeah, spoilers, spoilers. Oh, yeah. Um, after mm-hmm. after um, Johnny's uh, death, yeah. mm-hmm. Lisa is over her body, and she says, oh, it's okay. You know, he had a large insurance. Mm-hmm. So, like, she's, that's what she's thinking of at, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Or at the end of the original script. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy to me. <laughs> that that scene though, like when when Johnny blows his brains out, like the uh-huh. they 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 find his body and they're like he's dead, and then it immediately cuts to him with in a pool of blood on the floor with a hole in his head about the size of a loony, and it's mm-hmm. like, yes, I I I don't know. Was that was that was that ambiguous? Like if you walk into a room and you see a guy lying there. With a loony-shaped hole in his skull, you're not gonna go. Ah, oh, no, he's probably just sleeping it off. 
I know it, it's, it's it Johnny. Come as a surprise. It's Johnny. I would. I. I. He would do a lot of weird things. I'd be like, well, that's Johnny. I guess. Uh, that's that's <laughs> fair enough. You know. He does have sex with the, with the dress. Yeah. Okay. That that's in the <laughs> okay. script too. Yeah. Spoiler warnings. A lot of weird room things happening. We're just gonna remember the room like a lot right now. now. I got a question for you. What did Greg Sestero do in the second movie? The Dude Bro Massacre. Right. Okay. So that's yeah. the second part. The room is 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 done with for now. All right. We, but we close the door on the room. All right, that's okay. good. Thank you. Dude Bro Party Massacre Three is a is a, is a spoof of, of um, the slasher genre, so it's a sequel to two films that don't exist. So mm-hmm. that that's part of the joke. It's framed as um as this late night movie VHS recording. So there's like these commercial things in it too. Oh, okay. So the commercials right. are actual parts of the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is like a. F- like like the like the uh, the trailers in uh, that was that that the Grindhouse movies the right yeah something like, like that I guess. Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Ah, uh, well, that's not. Uh, that's, that's <laughs> that was in there. That was in there. That wasn't me. That wasn't okay, me. Okay, yeah, I know, but Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Yeah. Just uh, sorry. I should also note that <laughs> the audience for Dude Bro Massacre was about a third of the the audience for the room. So like two thirds of people left. Oh, after, after the room. Yeah. Okay. Was the stereo build in it? Uh. He was. It, that's part of the draw, I think. Right, so, so they, oh, okay, so they know. Oh, that's... Yeah. Um, so in the beginning, there's like a recap of the previous two films. There's like references to, to Psycho, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to The Evil Dead, like all these slasher kind of uh, films and the history of, of slasher films. And Dude Bro Massacre, Dude Pro, I can't even remember the name, whatever. Dude, we are your friends. Dude Bro Party Massacre 3, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about... Um, <laughs> It's about a, a guy whose whose twin brother dies in, okay. in like the opening um, minutes of the film, and, and he he comes back t- to join a fraternity to solve the mystery of his twin brother's death. Really? And they foolishly <laughs> go off into the cabins in the woods, and they get killed off one by one until you know it's, it's a slasher movie. You yeah, know? it's a slasher movie. One by one, they get killed until the final guy can can defeat the big bad who who's named Motherface. 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 After, Motherface. after Leatherface, I'm guessing. I'm not touching yeah, that one. <laughs> I, it's it's a mostly funny film. I think it mostly works. And, um, and Greg Sestero is the main character. He's not the main character. He's just a he's a supporting character. Is he like one of the frat bros? He's one of the frat bros. Mm. Yeah, plays he, a, he plays it pretty well. Is he shirtless? He is. Uh. I don't remember actually. <laughs> but how does we call um, him testosterone for a reason? <laughs> but does it play well in the parody genre? You think? Uh, Sorry. No, no, that's okay. As a parody, I think it. I think it mostly works. Um, mm-hmm. Some problems with it, it's that it sometimes it goes for the gross out jokes, which are you know I don't, I don't oh, think they're yeah, that okay. funny. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And you know, it's, it's misogyny is is seemingly self aware, so I, I'm gonna ex- I'm gonna excuse that. Okay. Um, one thing I am not going to excuse though is the way in which it depicts this this male Asian character in a, oh, in a very retrograde yay. kind of way. He's this emasculated mm-hmm. sidekick character, and you're waiting like you can't just seriously do this straight up, right? There's mm-hmm. got to be like you're waiting for the other three to shoot a drop, but no. That's just his character. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a little well, disappointing, but... Yeah. And I would... I don't know. I, I like this film a lot, actually, but oh. I would mm-hmm. never rewatch it, which is, you know... Oh, hmm. it doesn't have that rewatchability. doesn't have the rewatchability factor. Yeah. Unlike The Room. The Room is, like... Mm. When you watch more of it, it's like a very nice, like, wine. And then you drink more of it, and you get more drunk, so you keep drinking more of it, and you're like, why am I doing this? I have no control over uh, my actions. It, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's like a really terrible wine, but as you drink it, you keep getting more drunk, so you're oh, like... Oh, so you think it's mm-hmm. good, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's like the wine your sister ser- at your sister's wedding. You know it's true. Yeah. You know it's true. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that, that's the thing I realized about it. It gets into its own certain rhythm. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know a friend of mine who created all this room fanfic to explain everything, and okay. I think he's almost got about 50 pages of fanfic in there. Does he re- explain the breast cancer? <laughs> Uh, uh, apparently that the, I don't know if he did that. I don't remember that. He might uh, he might have done that right he, now. He's he is. taking on like the pro. He's taking on a work that's like I don't know. It's like a project that can never be fulfilled. Well, one thing that that Greg um, one of the facts that Greg shared was um, uh-huh. the actress who played that character Claudette asked yes. uh, asked Tommy whether um, the the character was messing with her daughter, whether she was lying or not yeah. about the breast oh, cancer. Okay, yeah. And the way he said it, like Tommy was like, "Oh, that that that's a twist." Or something like that. <laughs> that's that's, and it's never mentioned again. Okay. I heard a story that Tommy Wiseau said that um, he uh, he wanted the, the the original director, Sandy Schlaer, who was the assistant director and the script supervisor, he edited the script of The Room, and he actually wants to take credit for that. It's kind of like saying I was, you know, Greg Sestero said that that was like being saying I was the Hindenburg's principal aeronautics engineer. <laughs> but uh, 
Sandy Schler, he, Tom Wiseau comes up to Sandy Schler one day and he goes, I think it's Sandy Schler, and he, um, he says to him, I, I want you to have a scene of my car flying over the roof of the building. We, we work it in, possible subplot. And at this point, he says the only thing a sane human being would say is like, what subplot, Johnny? That isn't even in the script. He's like, I don't know. Maybe Johnny is vampire. <laughs> and then that was the moment I was like, yes, the room makes sense now. <laughs> if Johnny was a vampire. Well, maybe. I don't know. More so. <laughs> Anyways, that I think, I don't know. I think we have enough of the room for t- today, right? I think we're good on. Oh, you can never have too much enough of the room. Well, I, I think it's best to go into different rooms right now. Actually, yeah, this one does occur in a room, too. Yep. So what we're going to do is we're going to go into a quick commercial break. We have some uh, little, like, PSAs for you to listen to. Then we'll get back. We have another very cool review. <laughs> Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. Records will be hosting this year's ridiculously early Xmas party at the Astoria with performances by Rennie Wilson, Monomyth, Fake Tears, Energy Slime, Supermoon, Uptights, and a Faith Healer solo set. CITR Femme Concept DJs will be playing the hits all night long, and yes, there will be presents for the first 50 people. Visit mintrex.com for more details. Remember, it's this December 5th at the Astoria. Welcome back to the Arts Report. So, Arts Reporter Jake has a very cool review. Now, the last time we mentioned a movie, The Room, that was adapted from a play of Tommy Wiseau's intended to be very much a... very It's a very bizarre drama because I saw uh-huh. the original play script of The Room. It says, this play opens with a shot of San Francisco uh-huh. over the Bay Area. And I said, like, okay. Now, I don't know if he actually intended that to be the format, but... in you know, it, it's something to think about. Now, there's another play here that I saw called 52 Pickup, which also takes its own spin on formatting, but in a very different mm-hmm. way. We talked about 52 Pickup before mm-hmm. on the show, if um, our listeners remember. This is when they have actually scenes written out in the card, and they choose mm-hmm. whichever scene to make that kind of plot happen, right? Yep. They fling the cards into the air, yep. and they pick random ones, so it gives a... Um, cut up sort of sequence uh-huh. and what it reminded me of the most and i think i said this uh, at the time was 500 days of summer mm-hmm. and because and 500 days of summer is interesting you can't truly randomize it because it's a movie the order's committed to film yeah i mean if you some sometime in the way near future you could find some kind of program to scramble something but you can't do that now yeah now this thing this is very interesting because this is also a story about a relationship mm-hmm. and it charts it from its beginning to its end and uh, it it was interesting. It was it was a short play. It was only about an hour and ten minutes long, mm-hmm. uh, on the outside. And uh, now, what I gotta say first off about it is that it's it's a very minimalist play. Okay. There's only two uh, unnamed uh, an unnamed man, and an unnamed woman, played by Todd Willows and Sarah Andrea Brown. Dan Willows, I'm sorry, and Sarah Andrina Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's their relationship that goes throughout this play, and. Uh, it's it, it's curious because, well, for one thing, it's a very straightforward uh, relationship. It's not a very it's not a transgressive play. Is what I'm saying it's it's very, very int- very standard subject matter. Okay, which yeah. is not and that's not a bad thing in light mm-hmm. of this because it this has the advantage of throwing the benefit onto the formatting, which is, and 
frankly, the characterization here, pretty normal, but I, I give major props to the actors for being able to every single card seamlessly memorized. Ah, so the, they yeah. could do this in order perfectly. Like the, the, There were no slip-ups that I detected, whatso- detected whatsoever, mm-hmm. which is impressive. And it was kind of, um, I almost got kind of a Chuck Lorre, sort of sitcom-y feel from the actual, the dialogue. And oh, the yeah, 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 yeah. I like that, personally, because mm-hmm. I, I, I was raised on Two and a Half Men. So, <laughs> and that, that was, um, that, that was one vibe I kind of got from it. Mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting, unlike 500 Days of Summer, it kind of shows both perspectives on the relationship, like how expectations don't always coincide. Yes. Like, the, uh, the woman is very, um, she, she's very interested in travel. Mm-hmm. She's very, um, how would you say... Sort of, she's multilingual. She's worldly. Yes, and then the guy, on the other hand, hasn't traveled a lot. Not very multilingual. Very steady, sort of. Mm-hmm. And it's um, and it's their expectations kind of going uh, back and forth. There's a scene where that's pretty much explicitly laid out, and they have a little meat cute thing involving cranberry juice. Um, I, I don't know. It's, I was actually uh, going to ask about that because there's so many different scenarios that can happen uh, within all of these. Was the storyline for you uh, when you kind of you know watched it? Did it feel stilted or did it feel you know jarring just because it kind of like goes from here to here? It doesn't go from A to B, it goes A to like maybe like J, then it goes to like maybe like M or something. No, not at all. That was uh, another <laughs> thing that was very good. None of the scenes seemed detached from each other in that they didn't make sense. Okay, they could all stand on their own and they only kind of snowballed in meaning as it came along. Mm-hmm. So. Theoretically, and there's one in the the final chronological card, not the one in the in the performance, but the last card. And I think these go by deck in order. These were written in order by deck: um, okay. diamonds, hearts, clubs, spades. Um, so the last card, I believe, is the ace of spades, like the Motorhead song. Mm-hmm. And that card, um, I believe, is when they say that this story is pretty normal and it would be boring if you did it straightforward, but now that you do it like this, it helps put a new spin on it, and that's very correct. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's very great because it, it this new format works very well and very organically, despite the fact that it's it, 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 it's purposefully fragmented, but it seems natural. Like, at no point do I say this is abrupt or this doesn't make sense, probably because it's also a very compressed show. It doesn't drag on for too long. You can hold all the context in, in your head um, yeah. not without a problem whatsoever. Okay. And some cards are one character's monologue. Some cards are another character's monologue. Some cards are phone con- – some of them are phone conversations. Some are meetings. There's no real – it's a very limited set. It's a yeah. carpet and two chairs. Okay, I was going to ask about the set because, again, very different scenarios, mm-hmm. very different, you know – I guess environments that people have to be in, or is it all kind of in that same domestic environment? Nope. Uh, there's there's thing there's scenes in their homes. Mm-hmm. There's scenes in the play in the restaurant or cafe where they meet. They're um, they're variously in bed, in w- walking around, mm-hmm. looking at things. It, it's a very uh, it, they use it a lot. The spareness the audience fills that in, and again, all that that also works pretty well. Yep. It's a it's a play that does simple things pretty well. Would be it would excellently would be a good uh, okay. summation of it for me. And is Fifty Two Pickup still running, or sadly no? It's still running at the oh, Havana Theater. Yay! And I highly recommend it. And I didn't actually eat at the Havana, but it looks all it's, it looks like a pretty groovy joint. There's a uh-huh. breathalyzer <laughs> there in the, in the back, okay, um, <laughs> which you pay a, a two ninety to use. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, I'd highly recommend it. It's 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 worth the money just it, to see it pulled off. It's it's pulled off very well. It's well finessed, and I got to give props to. Mm-hmm. When 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 it. is it exactly? Like in around uh, seven? It starts at eight o'clock. Lock and Eight. goes to about. They say it goes to nine thirty, but it, the show that I saw did not uh, go until nine thirty. Okay, well, just for people, if they if they do want to see it, it is kind of a experience because n- none of it is going to be the same, right? Because it's no, all random. Yeah. yeah. So if you want something kind of like a personalized, almost like you know, theater experience, then go to it. And then maybe someone will go a different night, and then you guys can compare, okay, which scene did you see? Which ones didn't you see? That kind of thing. And what's also coming up next? Now, another thing I saw, uh, actually, the (laughs) night after I saw this very different show, was at the Chan Center, Carmino and Sarah Tavares. And it's mm-hmm. they're they're both Portuguese. They're both they're both female performers of a genre called fado, which is a Portuguese folk song. Mm-hmm. And they're very different shows. The opening show was uh, Mish Tavares, and then um, the latter was Carmino. And uh, Mish Tavares, Sher Tavares is um, that's uh, she's um, she plays guitar. 
Her her music is kind of kind of groovy, slightly laid back. Okay. And she had a very sweet voice. Would be a uh, best way to sum it up. And that was an interesting show. People got up and danced a bit. Oh, it was cute. interesting. I'd say about uh-huh. maybe uh, a, four, a quarter of the audience spoke Portuguese. I do not speak any Portuguese. <laughs> so that was a, that was a huge adventure for me. All of these songs are in Portuguese. But they still sound very beautiful. They still sound beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the second show was Carmino. And this woman is – she's a tiny, elegant little woman, but she's got an incredible voice. <laughs> Like, there's one point where she put down her microphone. She was uh-huh. singing. The people in the back could still get her fine. Wow. Like, it was it was very impressive. She had this operatic voice, and just half the time I was going, holy Christ. It's just, it's just disproportional. <laughs> it was amazing. Like, I like Mish Tavares, but I, I really You're enjoyed it. You're blown away by Carmina. Yes. She was just an mm-hmm. amazing voice. Very good show. Um, I'd highly recommend seeing her. I actually got her autograph on the. Uh, hey, on the, that's on good, the man. That's yep. good. Yep. yep. And um, for the for the listeners who can't see, we have a side profile of a beautiful, dainty young woman. We have her signature just written down there in black mm-hmm. and white. Very pretty. Yep. A keeper for you. I I I really enjoyed the show. I thought that was very much worth it. And are there any other cool events that are coming up at the, at the know, Chan Chan Center? Center that you know maybe other people should know about? Since now you know we have an insider, you went there. It's oh, amazing. Right. They have a lot of cu- cool, very cool you know stuff happening at the Chan Center that you know maybe some of the people at UBC are you know unaware of. Well, firstly, there's one on February 13th. It's Branford Marsalis, and I, I'm definitely going to see that. Okay. What like, is Branford Marsalis? Branford Marsalis is a jazz man. I believe he's related to Winton Marsalis. So okay. he's, uh, that's, uh, I, I'm not, I wouldn't quote me on that. Okay. But I, I, I won't quote you. It is, but there's, there's – um, and they also have, in the vein of jazz, they also have um, D.D. Bridgewater and Irvin Mayfield on February 27th. Mm-hmm. And they also have one I'm interested in is Arlo Guthrie on April 21st. And Arlo Guthrie is Woody Guthrie's son. Oh, okay. And I believe. Okay. Either that or there's another Arlo Guthrie. <laughs> or there's Guthrie a, a different Guthrie altogether, different Guthrie no, clan. No, that, if if I got a wrong Guthrie and wrong Marsalis, that's going to be a failure of mine. But this is, that's, that's my understanding of it. And I, I definitely going to see the Marsalis and the Guthrie shows. That's at the Chan Center. Mm-hmm. Also at the Norm this week. Yep. This Tell is us the, at the Norm. This is the last week of the Norm's programming. We don't. There's no programming uh, at the Norm for December. Okay. Which is a shame, but uh, that's, uh, that's that's the way it goes. So tonight there is an audience choice picture, which is Inception at seven o'clock. I'm I Inception as you know, it's a fantastic movie. I don't think I need to plug that one mm-hmm. at all. And tomorrow there's Chungking Express, a Wong Kar Wai. It's I, I'm told it's uh, now I have absolutely no idea about Wong Kar Wai's filmography, but it's an exhilarating romantic comedy about people who fr- frequent the same restaurant i didn't do a, i i get the sense that that might not have been the most convincing description but uh-huh. believe me one car wise well well celebrated after that this is the show i'm definitely going to see his fight club um oh just yeah fight club rule number one i don't, I don't know what you're talking about exactly <laughs> and then uh after that on uh saturday i believe there is um oh no 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 sunday is the crypt keeper Tales is there's tales from the crypt. Yeah. On Sunday. Okay. When you can, um, like, uh, like kind of a horror anthology. Yeah, sort horror of thing, anthology right? kind of thing. Let me see it. Yeah, that's okay. And, um, um, like, and there's and uh, that's a very that's I, I would recommend it. I definitely I've actually never seen this, and I'm told it's Canadian, which is kind of interesting. The one the choice on Saturday though is actually the one that's probably the most fascinating about the norm and they tradition and this is uh the player and network which are movies about the film industry. The player I have not seen network. Now network I would highly recommend because it's about um a well a, a radio guy among other things who goes ballistic. He goes, "I'm mad as hell. I won't take it anymore." Uh-huh. Which might happen on the arts report at some point, you know. Hey, you know, no they won't. No, no, it won't, won't happen because because we love we love being on the arts report all the time. We love talking to everyone here. So I don't think anyone will go crazy. Well, I don't know. I mean, we might get an Airsats guest in here and just... No, no way. No way. No way. Hey, it might keep it interesting, you know. <laughs> All our guests are great. All our guests are great, and they all love the Arts Report, and the Arts, Club, uh, arts huh. Report all loves them. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm sitting on an atomic bomb waiting for it to go off. No. I'm smiling very, very heavily now, <laughs> listeners. I'm smiling very heavily. And th- so that's at the norm. I'd And I I would, again, I'd highly recommend uh, Fight Club as per usual. Oh, also Friday programming. This is one I completely forgot to say up until this point. What is that? I meant to plug this la- yesterday, but la- last um, week, because... This is a very, actually, a very relevant one to UBC because this Friday is Femme Friday, 
It's yep. And uh, I, as you know, uh, CITR is very femcon friendly. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, so the norm. This is two uh, movies that predominant with a predominantly female cast adopted from both comic books, Ghost World and Tank Girl. Mm-hmm. And Ghost World has a young, Scar- very young Scarlett Johansson in it, and it has Steve Buscemi as a blues enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Actually, he he's not female, but he's actually he's pretty good in it. I I, I yeah. recommend it. And then Tank Girl was actually directed by a UBC film professor, mm-hmm. and it has a young Naomi Watts in it. And the little sister from the League of Their Own is Tank Girl. Uh, didn't, she, didn't she always want to see her get her own movie? And also <laughs> Malcolm McDowell, a.k.a. Alex and Clockwork Orange, is the villain. Oh. Ice-T is also a talking kangaroo. Okay. I didn't make a word of that up. Go- it's one of the best punk feminist movies ever made. Okay, wow. That sounds really cool. And is, I highly is it recommend. this Friday? That is this Friday, this Femme Friday, Friday yeah. starting at 7 o'clock. It's a double feature. Well, all the norms are double features, but mm-hmm. these I highly recommend. Are- looking for something not related to maybe you know film or theater there are also very cool stuff happening at the museum of anthropology if you guys are into that i know you guys are because you guys are very cool cultured listeners so so what i did is i actually got to go to the um the new exhibit that just opened actually last week um on november the 20th it is uh, bracket in, close bracket, visible, the spiritual world of Taiwan through contemporary art. Uh, we had Dr. Fuyubi Nakamura on our show earlier, um, earlier, uh, I think last month. And um, when I got to see it, really, really cool stuff. Like she brought in a few, you know, visual, you know, photographs, but it's not the same as actually walking in. I did share some pictures on the Arts Report Facebook, if you guys would uh like to take a look they're just a little kind of segments of the entire piece itself but when you walk in there is these really beautiful kind of paper cuts that um an artist um chu yuen has made herself so all these are different little like um cut pieces of paper and the shapes themselves remind me of kind of almost folkloric kind of creatures they're not birds or anything they're not insects or anything they have a weird sort of shape to them that is really kind of in a weird sense to kind of describe it spiritual there are these kind of amalgamations of different kind of creatures you have something that has like a a fish element mixed with like a bird element mixed with like an antenna of a bug element but even though it sounds really weird because andy's making a face right now (laughs) even though it looks really though it sounds really weird it's actually really beautiful and then she has all of these just kind of hanging down like a a huge swath almost like a curtain of these really delicate pieces of art just surrounding kind of like a main entrance point and to me it kind of felt like i was being transported into a spiritual world yeah and there's a i showed i shared on the facebook that if you guys want to take a look too you can one thing that they did is they had a little area that was kind of like curtained and what you do is the artist actually invited people to go inside, inside this kind of curtain, this little tented area. And you could look up and then up into the light. There were other like different little pieces. And I don't know, I kind of felt like, you know. Um, it looks kind of like the Navi love nest from Avatar. Okay, well, I, I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more of like a, like a PG-related movie. I was thinking about being sent from Spirited Away. How could you say that now? It's ruined. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> but yeah, I felt like I was spirited away. Yeah, I felt like okay. That, that, looking at that's probably that is actually a better analogy. My bad. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We all see things differently. <laughs> but yeah, I should probably see a therapist about that. That's okay. You know, maybe maybe a little bit about your fascination with you know Navi Navi love nest, but yeah. tell you the truth, I've never actually seen the movie. I've just seen that scene on on YouTube somewhere. Maybe now it, you know it just haunts you. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Possibly. <laughs> but anyway, that is one of the the cool things that really keyed in with me. Another thing is they had these actual like puppet doll things, and I'm gonna share this with my entourage again. All these like little puppet doll things that are handmade little puppets, and the artist himself who made these puppets and other mixed media <coughs> artwork, um, uh, Lee Jun Lee Jin Yang. I think I'm saying it pronouncing it incorrectly. Lee Jun Yang who created all these, he's actually in a lot of popular Taiwanese, you know, apparently shows for his puppetry. 
And that was really cool. I got to see them, and um, they're all hand-painted, all, like, handmade. They are about, like, this high. Like, you can't really. Why am I saying this high? And you can't. Kind of like Thundercats. <laughs> You're on the air. Um, basically, they are about like what is this like a foot? What would you consider this like a foot high? Like a, yeah, a bit uh, more, a bit more than a foot. Like a bit more than a foot yeah. high. Yeah. And uh, they are really cool. All of them had different faces, and they were painted like you know folklore kind of stuff from um, Taiwan as well as some other mixed media. And one thing that Dr. Nakamura talked about when she came on is that she actually had um, Taiwanese. Um, actual native tribe, tribal art. So um, basically, a lot of times when people think Taiwan, they think of the mainland Han, you know, Chinese descent Taiwanese people. Mm -hmm. But there are small indigenous groups within Taiwan as well. And one of these, um, one of these artworks, or I guess it's kind of like a, it's more of an audiovisual piece. Like a, it is a video, but it's more like a, well, you got to be there, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And what he did is he is a um, professor, and he actually brought a huge projector with them and went to a mountain in Taiwan and then projected the images of Native people around the world onto the Earth's surface and then filmed that. And then the, the, ambience, the ambient noise is the noise from the mountain. And then this kind of, like, video, you sit there and you look, and the faces of, you know, the people that are kind of, like, on the um, the mountain side itself, you know, changes over time. You hear the kind of the you know nature sounds like birds and like rivers going and stuff like that. It makes you kind of wonder a lot about you know you know indigenous people and their identity with the land. And I don't know, it was really really neat, really cool. And there was another one where one apparently and Dr. Nakamura. Um, told me this, so you can quote Dr. Nakamura on this, but um, a lot of the native indigenous tribes in Taiwan are Christian. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them are Christian. And Han um, Han descendants are maybe, you know, Christian, you know, Buddhist, a lot of them are Buddhist, that kind of thing, but the main, the, the majority of these indigenous tribes are Christian. So one of the artworks actually featured a theme of Christianity in the negative space of the artist and because he's a actual he's actually a christian pastor pastor i said it wrong a, a, pastor. a, a christian pastor you know are there christian bales in this pastor 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 or i had to do it that's okay you guys you guys can like you know rag on me i rag on you guys it's all good within the entourage anyways he is an actual christian pastor mm -hmm. And um, he's also an artist, and he also is, like, a tribesman, that kind of thing. And it's all reflected within his art, which kind of weaves all these identities together, which I thought was really, really neato. Very multifaceted. Really multifaceted. It's just kind of, like, all these, like, different things where we consider, like, an identity, you know, to have a certain trait and that kind of thing. When all coming together, it just makes this one individual. We don't generalize. Yeah. So yeah. There's something to that. <laughs> that was that, that's what I was thinking. There's a lot of cool stuff happening. Check out the Museum of Anthropology. Check out the Norm Theater. Check out, you know, UBC Theater. If you guys didn't see the Beckett, oh my god. Did you see the Beckett? I did not. I, I saw it like a poster for it yesterday. It was so good. I was like I was I you know I was raving about it. Yes, last I week. did. Yeah. Oh yeah. Beckett. Uh so great. Anyways, it was really good. <laughs> But unfortunately, it was a very short run. The run is over. There are a lot of cool things happening on the horizon for UBC Theater. As you know, UBC Music, you know, showed up today as well. A lot of cool things happening for the Centennial thing. What do you guys think about it? UBC Centennial. What's happening? What do you guys yes. think about it? It's a thing that's happening, yeah. <laughs> yes. But, you know, as UBC students, what do you guys think now that UBC has, you know, it's basically 100 years old now? Let's talk UBC culture. <laughs> <laughs> we may have a hard time finding original graduates. Yeah. But yeah, I think so. We can't really go have back. Have you guys heard that this is like <laughs> the second time that UBC has, has celebrated its centennial? Really? Like there was a time in 2008 as well that it, like it was 100 years, but now we're doing it again because um, there's a difference between the time when the campus was established and oh. the Point, point Grey campus specifically. I think okay. that's the difference. I'm I think that's sure. the difference. Okay, okay. 
Well, that's that's so cool. I didn't know about that. Don't you... quote me on any of that. I read an article like a year ago. Okay, okay. Don't quote Andy on about that. Don't, don't quote us about anything. Yeah, don't apparently. Qu- don't quote us about anything. <laughs> we know nothing. <laughs> We're in arts. Come on. <laughs> you don't go to science people. You don't. You don't go to the science program for riffing on shows. You don't go to us for. Actually, that said, you know you probably do. But, uh, so. <laughs> but anyway, I, I thought it was really neat that it is actually hundred years. You know, UBC. We have that UBC kind of, you know, pride mm-hmm. thing happening, but at, at the same time, the, because it is now, you know, UBC's hundredth year, you know, has UBC progressed from what we want UBC to be? And I was a lot of I think a lot of people know recent you know, news happening. If you want to catch news, that's another show mm-hmm. here on CITR one hundred one point nine FM. But anyways. Um, we want to speak more about culture because with news, you got to lay down the facts, but we're now talking about culture. And one thing is, I think you guys are all aware of a lot of the allegations that are happening at UBC, right? Yeah. History department? Yes. yes. Okay. Sexual harassment. Uh... All right. Just so you know, content warning for those who, you know, aren't kind of, you know, they're not, they don't want to listen to this kind of stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about um, some triggering material. If you um, if you're kind of like oh I don't want to hear that another good thing to listen to is if you go to citr.ca you can actually catch all of your favorite shows they have podcasts up arts report has one too last week's episode was really neat just saying all right now back to culture so I think um, I don't know if you guys heard about this but there was actually kind of like a rally here at UBC and um, you know and CBC did like a documentary about it too about you know this kind of sweeping under the rug to kind of, um, you know, because they don't want to make a big deal about it. They don't want to, you know, tarnish the image of UBC. And it's kind of hard to talk about because now we're at the 100th year. It's all about, you know, we did it, 100 years, UBC, image, 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 proud, 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 that kind of thing. And I was just very curious that if we're very, you know, if image is very important to the school, like, why didn't they kind of resolve that, you know, earlier? It's much more better now that we're in a state of technology and we're a state of, you know, kind of, I think I'd like, I'd love to believe that we believe victims. Like, we, you know, we believe them. You know, we're not about, like, we're not going to believe you, that kind of thing. I think we are a society in which if there is something serious happening, we want to know and we want to fix it, right? So I was wondering, why is it better to hide then actually admit, okay, this thing happened. Let's take care of it right in the bud now. Well, as you mentioned, image, image, image. If you mm-hmm. can, if, I think that if most if most people would rather avoid facing consequences for something than rather take the point and say, uh, yes, this is our fault. We'd like to say sorry for it. If you can avoid it, I mean, mm-hmm. logically, it's not the right thing to do to hide mm-hmm. it. But if you're looking pragmatically, it's, well, it's logical that some people just might say, no, I'm not going to deal with that. And I, I've heard a lot of content about this. It's very polarizing. Yeah, it is very polarizing. Uh, and I, I, I refrain from comment because I don't actually I, – I don't think I'm aware of the situation because okay. I've read a lot of content that's very heavily biased mm-hmm. on both sides of the equation. And I, uh, I, I, I don't – I probably do not understand the issue. That's okay. That's but okay. what I can understand from this content is that this is it, – it's a very – it's a very – it's a hot-button topic. It and, is. And, and it will because – as soon as this gets online, you get everybody hitting everything because this is a, this is also a college campus. Yep. And as people here are are trained to express their opinion however they can, and generations tech literate, and that the result of that is you get a opinion that you will hear every possible opinion, and you'll hear them very loudly, frequently, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's one thing I because and also I'm probably not connected enough to understand where this image originated but the the points that i've been hearing now making make me just it, it, it makes it hard to tell what's going on is, is it what is I definitely say. hard and that's what i'm also very worried about is the fact that recently especially in terms of ubc as a kind of a microcosm of society for you know students and for teachers and you know other staff members why the secrecy you know well, UBC's had some. What do you mean by secrecy? There's a lot of you know stuff that's happening that even the not not a lot of the professors are aware of too. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why a you know if there are problems, why not just confront them and fix them correctly? You know, we don't have to 
like you know when someone when you break a vase or something you're like oh no i broke a vase and then you put like the vase underneath the carpet the shards of the vase are still poking through the carpet someone will step on it someone will be like hey what's this turn like you know flip the carpet oh something bad happened and you've ruined the carpet and you've you cut up other carpet. people's feet yeah that's right i'm just saying i feel like that's a great analogy i feel like it is now the 100th year of ubc and we want a lot of our students be more involved at UBC, but UBC, for some reason, doesn't want to be involved with the students. Given In my the... point of view, I'm going to get so many hate mail for this. I hope I hope someone's going to mail. Anyways, anyways I, I don't know. I, I just feel more strongly about it now because it's, it is, you know, 100th year. We, I, I do have UBC pride. Why am I, you know, hosting a radio show if I don't? I love UBC, and I want UBC to do better. And I think it can do better, and I think it has the possibility of doing better. But right now, I'm just a little bit worried on, you know, what does UBC see itself as? Well, you know, funny thing was, I came here from London, Ontario, and yeah. our hometown university is Western. And Western kind of had a debacle recently where the, our, our president, the president of Western, Amit Chakma, was um, basically, he was, he was fired for uh-huh. st- for basically taking and reappropriating a large amount of money oh, no. and then oh, refusing no. to give it back. Yeah. And uh, so I came I came to UBC uh, right in the middle of UBC's own issue with the the freedom of speech one. I mean that that mm-hmm. right in the middle of that debacle that eventually led to an administrative reshuffling. Yeah. And um, somebody asked me from my hometown. Uh, I said, you know, why, why are you going to UBC? Like this is a troubling situation. He goes to Western now. Okay. And I'm like, well, for one thing, you're going to Western. And uh, uh-huh. so that that was the alternative. And for another, I like it here. Mm-hmm. And it, it's it's a simple thing that I I believe that the administration of a university and probably most places for that matter is not a full on representation, especially in a university where the student body is encouraged to, and especially at UBC of all places, yeah. where we have a we've got a pretty nice radio station. We have a lot of output. The student body is encouraged to to speak on matters. Yes, yes. And that's which is. Partially also why I, I, th- I think that the sweeping things under the rug is probably a really bad idea because... Yeah, it is so vocal. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, you I know... I mean, part of the reason yeah, is, that, is that rape, I guess, is what we're talking about, right? Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's a topic you... Morally, of yeah. course, the answer is, want, yeah. is to believe the victim. Mm-hmm. But but in terms of the law, it, it's a much more dicey issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes for good, sometimes for, for bad. And it's an issue you have to tackle very seriously or else you'll end up... You know, seeming like you're hiding it, which I don't think is necessarily what they intended to do, but that's how it comes across. Mm-hmm. Very, very poignant points there. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I, I just lately have been mm-hmm. feeling a little bit distanced from you know UBC, you know, com- you know, culture outside of you know arts and stuff, and it is what you know. Um, uh, Mr. You know, Jonathan Gerard said today, like, you know, the arts and places like that are a place for healing, and which is why I feel like I am so much in tune with a lot of stuff that's happening at UBC in terms of, you know, cool events for me to still kind of, like, believe in, like, the school. Like, there's such, like, wonderful things happening. But at the same time, like, we have such wonderful things happening, you know, to kind of, like, promote, like, like all this cool stuff and all this, like, great talent that's being fostered here. And it is... You know, I think there's a lot of stuff happening for the uh, centennial too. I know some play, some clubs are doing a lot of like preparation for all these like wonderful like mm-hmm. showings and stuff like that, which is why, I don't know, that kind of like grandeur also leads to like a very very dark shadow. And I, I still think that there should there should be kind of like more light, more light. The fact that they coincide is, it's, r- yeah, is they coincide at the same time. The problem with it, both. It conflicts me to my core because I'm like, UBC, yeah. But at the same time, like, UBC, no. Well, I think that I think that we can we can celebrate our institution, but also critique it. We can, yes. Mm-hmm. Because that and that is very much in the spirit of, of thought, of free thought that this university ideally stands for. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, we have a show coming up. It will be less polarizing to you, and you can come back if you guys Hopefully, were all like, yes. you know, like, I don't want to hear this. You can come back now. This is the Sharing Science Show. It is about nuclear fusion, and the ser- the Sharing Science crew is Ooh, very- like Greg Sestero. That's hot. <laughs> and uh, they are interviewing General Fusion, a company in Vancouver. And we're going to go to a quick kind of PSAs, then it'll go right into Sharing Science. This was... Ashley with the cool entourage of Jake, 
and Andy. I was pointing at them because you can't see me. I was pointing at them. They just hit the note. It was great. They're interviewing general fusion. Do they have a kernel fusion or a major fusion? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe they will, you know, say it. Maybe we should all listen to Sharing Science. All right. We'll see you again next week on Wednesday 